But this week, we are looking at Psalm 1. Now, the Psalms understand what was, or were, the book of Psalms was the Hebrews hymn book. This was what they sang. Every psalm is a song, and it was sung at some point. Uh, many of them were maybe written for a special occasion. There are enthronement psalms that they sang uh, when David became king or Solomon became king or something like that. But those psalms ended up being a part of their weekly worship. Uh, it was very easy for them to take an enthronement song of, of David and, and talking about the king, etc., etc., and, and envision God on his throne, or in our case, we envision King Jesus when we sing those psalms. Uh, but was, this was their hymn book. But uh, the interesting thing about their, their songs is that they were so uh, theologically rich. There was so much in these psalms. Uh, you could you could break them apart as as we do when we preach them or study them and and use them as teaching passages but not not just music but on the other hand there are many many psalms that we use in our songs uh you know um Oh, wow, and I had 3 of them on my mind and I just lost them all entering uh Come into his presence with thanksgiving in our heart and give him praise and give him praise. That's, that's a psalm, but we've made it into a song. Uh, there are, uh, gosh, many more, trust me. Um, when you want to think of them, when you don't want to think of them, you sing them all the time, and when you want to, you can't. But that's, that's how the psalms function. We need to, and any time we go back to the Old Testament as well, we need to understand what the Old Testament writer whether it was the writer of a, a song in this case or the writer of history in, say, Joshua, understand the intent behind the, the writing. Why did the author write it? In, in biblical studies, we call it authorial intent. That's the first thing we need to understand is why was it written? Who was it written to, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Then, though, as Christians, we have to look at it through the lens of the New Testament, because everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the New Testament. Even some of the Old Testament writers, I contend, didn't know that they were pointing to the Messiah as clearly as some of them were, but they were. They were pointing into the future. So when we see what's happening, we always look at it through the lens of the New Testament. Same thing with the psalm, uh, any psalm, the psalms. We, we take them, we understand, okay, it was a, a song, it was various psalms were written in, in for various purposes, and we'll look at them as we go through. This particular psalm, Psalm 1, probably was written, you know, the, the psalms were compiled, just like our Baptist hymnal was compiled. One person didn't write all those songs in there. Various people wrote the songs, and in the hymnal's case, a committee put it together, but somebody brought it together. The psalms are the same way. They're written by many, many different people, most of them by David, some by Solomon. Uh, there are some by Moses. Uh, there are some by the uh, sons of Korah, it tells us. Uh, many different people, but somebody along the way compiled them. Psalm 1 was probably not written 
with uh, in mind that, okay, we're going to have uh, a book of songs put together, and this is going to be the first one. That, that wasn't likely the intent of the writer, given what he wrote. As a matter of fact, it, this psalm almost is a proverb. It, it almost goes better in Proverbs chapter 1 by its content, but because it's written in poetic style, now, Poetry in Hebrew, remember, all the psalms are poetic. They're all poetry. But poetry in Hebrew doesn't rhyme at the end like we think of poetry. We think it has to um, uh, rhyme every time. Roses are red, violets are blue. Um, you say I stink, but you do too. Uh, you know, that, that rhymes. That's, that was beautiful. That's poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't work that way. Hebrew poetry likes parallelism. Oh, what a mighty big rock that is. The rock is huge and large. Okay, I just said the same thing twice. Well, that's Hebrew poetry. That's, that's the way they did poetry. Uh, they also sometimes would do meter, same number of syllables. Uh, but it, it, it comes across, but, but imagery, that's the big thing for Hebrew poetry. Imagery, uh, word pictures, and, and then that parallelism, that's how we see poetry. So, you, you approach the Psalms in a different way. You don't read the Psalms, you don't study the Psalms the same way you study Genesis or uh, Leviticus or any of, any of those books. You don't study it the same way you would study the letters from Paul to the churches. You approach it in a different manner. So hopefully we're going to approach it in that different manner when we come to the Psalms. Now, Psalm 1 is very clear in, in the message it's getting across. Uh, th- there are two ways this psalm says. And this is a, a theme that we see in a few other psalms. We see it in Deuteronomy. Jesus talks about the two paths, uh, the, the two gates. It, this is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. These, these two ways that, that uh, Psalm 1 shows us. Now, I ask you a question before we get into it, though. How do you get to San Antonio? And I'm not saying, how do you get to San Antonio? I'm saying, how do you get to San Antonio? Because if you ask somebody that question, uh, you ask 10 people that question, you're going to get 10 different answers, or at least three or four, and they can all be from Nixon. You're getting there from the same spot. Uh, Some people will take 87 all the way in. Uh, you'll, you'll go all the way till 87 hits I-10 up there somewhere in the midst of all the, the, the red lights and everything. Maybe that's how you go in. Uh, maybe, I, I know Russell goes 87 to 97, uh, uh, takes it down to Floresville and takes 181 north, right? That's how he does it. He says it's quicker. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't trust him. Um, I don't go that way. Uh, but that's how he does it. Maybe, uh, depending on where you're going, you go 87 and you take 410. Maybe you want to get over to North Star Mall, so you want to get to the north side of town, so you take 410. Maybe you go 1604. That's, that's our route a lot because we, that's where the Sam's is that we go to, and uh, Raising Cane's is up there. And if you don't know, well, you've missed manna uh, if you've never been to Raising Cane's. Manna in the form of chicken. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, maybe that's the way. Now, uh, did anybody go to Seguin or Luling and take 10 in? If you do, you're going the long way, okay? Let me just help you out here, but that's not going to be the best way. Uh, there, there are just a bunch of different ways to go, a lot of ways to get there. 
But nobody would ever say, you get out here on 87 and you turn left. You go east to Victoria. Nobody would give that as a way to get to San Antonio, right? That's, that's, that's crazy. That's the wrong direction completely. You're not going to... Uh, yes, technically, if you kept going for, for many, many weeks and months, if there was a road, you could get back around to San Antonio eventually. Uh, but that's not going to be the direction you send anybody because clearly that's the wrong way. Okay. Based on the information we have here, there are a bunch of different ways to San Antonio. Depending on who you are and how you like to drive and what kind of traffic you prefer or if it's red lights or the higher speed limit or, or whatever, you're going to go a different way to San Antonio. But every path is going to get you there eventually. Frankly, even the path through Victoria, right, could eventually get you to San Antonio if you take the right roads. Psalm 1 is clear, though, that it's not talking about two paths that end at the same destination. It's talking about the fact that if we get on one path, we end at the, direct, the, the destination hopefully we want to get to. And if we take the other, we will never get to that same destination. We will end up somewhere completely different and hopefully somewhere you don't want to be. So let's look at Psalm 1. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or, or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates, at, uh, meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment, and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous... But the way of the wicked leads to ruin. All right. How happy is the man? Now, we've been working on the Beatitudes, right? Blessed, happy. This is the same word as in the Beatitudes. That's why I thought this was a great psalm to begin with right after the Beatitudes because it's taken that New Testament word. And uh, if you don't know this, the, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. But... Sometime, a couple of hundred years before Christ was born, uh, they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. So you have the Old Testament in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It's called that because 70 scholars worked on it. LXX, 70. 70 scholars, Septuagint, that's the Greek for 70. We kind of, one of the ways we figure out what a Hebrew word meant to them back then is to look at the Greek word that was used in the Septuagint and then look for that same Greek word in the New Testament and see how it was used. Okay? So when we look at the Beatitudes and we see blessed is the man, uh, blessed uh, uh, are the righteous, blessed are, are the poor in spirit, etc., 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 we see that word blessed. We go and look in the Septuagint, and we find that when they translated this psalm from Hebrew to Greek, they used that same word. So it, that, that sense of happiness, that sense of, of joy, but remember what we talked about with the Beatitudes, not happiness because, you know, everything's wonderful, but joy because I'm in the center of God's will and doing what God wants me to. And that's what we're going to see here. Happy is that man. Blessed is that man. That man who does what? Well, 
My translation says, who does not follow the advice of the wicked, doesn't take the path of sinners, or doesn't join a group of mockers. Now, I love my Holman Christian Standard translation, but sometimes I don't like the way they translate things. I think it's much better the way some of your translations say it, and I'm going I'm, I'm to say this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life, but I'm pretty sure this is the way the King James says it. Walk, stand, and sit. One of the few times I'll say the King James got it right. Wink, Troy. Um, walk, stand, or sit. Notice, notice the verbs. If we change the verbs, if we look at it not as, uh, and, and I'm not sure what your translation says, but if we say happy is the man who doesn't walk with the wicked, walk in the advice of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the path of sinners, or doesn't sit with a group of mockers, we kind of get this idea not of, of, of a, a progression. Oh, I'm, first I'm just, I'm walking, then I'm standing, then I'm sitting. We're, we're not talking about that per se. What we're talking about is increasing levels of involvement. Look at it this way. If, for example, I were walking to San Antonio, and I'm never going to walk that far. If I were walking to the grocery store, from my house. And turns out someone else is walking to the bank and they live over near my house. So that we are walking along and we're taking the same general path and we're discussing things as we go. Eventually our paths are going to diverge. But, but while I'm on the path with that person, that person will have influence over me. But you see, because I'm walking, if, if this person starts getting weird, or, or maybe that person's thinking this person's getting weird, however it works, we at any point in time can say, oh, well, that's right, i got to go to Dollar General too. And, and we, we make that left turn that moves us away from the person we're walking with, right? So you see the, I would say, the ease maybe of diverting your path. A little easier at that point, right? Okay, that's, that's walking with, or as this translation says, uh, following the advice, walking with the wicked. But then there's this level of involvement where we, we stand in the path of sinners. Now, now notice, first I'm walking, and, and this is an easy thing to, to change. But if I'm standing with a sinner... I'm giving more credence to what they're saying. I'm less able to end the conversation. I'm, I'm listening to them. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it more. I'm more influenced, right? Because I'm, I'm standing there. Now, I can always say, oh, man, look at the time. I got to go. You know, and, and, or or we, we usually don't do that, right? When somebody's talking and, and, uh, and they, they're saying stuff and... And we're, yeah, we're, we're talking to them, and, and, and then they start getting nutty with what they're saying. Well, then, then, you know, you do this number. You start turning away from them, right? You know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't shake your heads. You, you, and you, maybe you look at your watch, and you've you got nowhere to go. Nowadays, it's, uh, it's oh, oh, it's my, oh, yeah, somebody texted me, I, you know, you lying. Uh, nobody texted you. But then, you know, and then you start doing this, you And you just kind of start moving away. But, but notice the difficulty because you're, you're standing with them. It's harder. 
it's harder to move away from that conversation. Well, then the next level of involvement, you're walking with them, you're standing with them, but then the next one is you sit in the gate with mockers. Now, when you sit in the gate with mockers, what you're doing is... The gate was where judgment was passed. The gate was where the city leaders came together and they heard cases and decisions were made and that kind of thing. Well, when we sit, you are not only giving credence to what they're doing, you are joining in with what they're doing. And you've also taken up residence with them. Uh, for lack of a better term. You have, no longer are you walking maybe a similar path that easily diverges. No longer are you standing and talking, but you're kind of working your way out. I mean, you have pulled up a chair, you've sat down, and boy, you are eating it up. Nobody watches TV standing up, right? If it's a two-hour movie, you don't, you don't walk by. Now, you know, my wife will say, yeah, that's how she always watches TV because it's a load of clothes this way as it's on and she looks and it's, you know, picking up toys this direction and it's changing a diaper over here. That's the only way she gets to watch TV. Well, that, that's not by choice necessarily. What I'm talking about is you don't watch TV standing up. You don't engage in the program standing up. What do you do? You sit down. You get yourself something to drink, a Coca-Cola or sweet tea. And, and you sit there, and you watch it, and you're in there. And, and you know, what, what does she ask me when, when she comes through the den, and she's working, and I'm not? What are you doing? I'm sitting watching TV. Yeah, sitting, not doing what you're supposed to, you know, whatever. Huh? Well, I wouldn't answer the first time, because I wouldn't hear her. But the second time, when she, Michael, you know, So you see the difference, right? You see how this isn't just a progression. It can be. I mean, you could have, you know, walked with uh, someone, the unrighteous, the uh, the, walked with a man who doesn't follow or follows the advice of the wicked. You could have, you could have walked with him and then said, "Oh, that's a good point." You stop and you talk because that happens, right? You you see somebody in town or at the store, and first you're walking along, then you know the conversation gets good, and you're, "Oh yeah, yeah," and you're sitting, standing there talking to him, and and not in a grocery store, but but how often do you say? Maybe not as much anymore because we always have a clock to punch, but it's not uncommon to say, hey, let's, let's go sit down over here and, and, and talk. Let's go get a cup of coffee and talk. See, you have, it could be a progression. But what we see here is your increased level of involvement with wickedness. That's what he's saying. Happy is the man who doesn't walk the path with the wicked or, or stand and give some time to sinners, or sit in the gate and, and, and leisurely absorb what the mockers are doing. Instead, verse 2 says, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. Now, some of your translations say law. Well, that's, that's not the best translation of the word. It's the, it's the direct translation of the word, but it's not the best uh, of what the word's trying to get at. It's, it's not talking about the, the first five books of the Bible, what the uh, Jews would call their law, their Torah, even though that is the word that it's using. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not even the law and the prophets. What it's talking about here is God's moral instruction. Those things that we are and that we aren't supposed to do. Our delight 
the psalmist says, is in that instruction, those, those moral requirements that came from God. We, we meditate on them day, or, day and night. They are so important to us that they're a constant uh, replay in our heads of what I'm supposed to be doing and what I'm not supposed to be doing. As a Christian, that, that should ring true to us, that, that, that we are constantly bombarded with opportunities to sin. And, and in our heads, there should be this, this replay of, I know what is right and I know what is wrong. When, when temptation presents itself, I don't have to think, hmm, should I be doing this? Because I have hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. Hey, that's a psalm that was made into a song. I'm glad. I, a good job, Michael. Uh, there's, there's another one, and, and we know that, right, because of the song. They, they understood that. I, I know that, that this isn't right because I've meditated on it day and night. And if we do that, if, if our delight is in the Lord, remember, you know, the, 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 the beautiful uh, later on in passage in Psalms that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is like a preview of that. And I've told you before, you delight yourself in the Lord, then your desires will be His desires. Well, in this passage, we have a preview of that very passage later on in, in, Psalm, in the Psalms. If he's, if he's delighting in the Lord's instruction, he's meditating on a day at night, what will be like, we be like? Verse 3 says, we'll be like a tree planted beside streams of water. Now, I don't know if that excites you at all to be uh, like a planted tree, but I think in our time of, of uh, drought, I don't think we're in a drought anymore, obviously not at the last couple of rains, but a couple of days of rain, but you know, it got dry for a while. And, and what, what does good uh, during these times? If you I'm, I'm always fascinated, uh, especially driving around here, if, if, if it's not mesquite, I mean, mesquite grows everywhere, right? That's a weed in tree form, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it doesn't seem to need a lot of water. But as you drive 1681 out and you go into to Seguin, you, I notice that along creek beds, that's where most of the pecans grow. And if there are live oaks, that's where they're growing. And, and you can see across these pastures, this trail, and you can find the creek because just look for the, the trees that, that aren't mesquite. And, and it's, it's not just a South Texas thing. It, it happens in, in Mississippi too. Why? Well, that's where the streams of water are. The, the, the trees that need more water make it along those creek beds. Even if they dry up occasionally, the water's there more often than not, and, and so they live there. In this culture... You didn't even have the, the natural creeks that kept water. The, the word could actually mean transplanted, a, a tree that is intentionally put by streams of water. And it's talking about very likely irrigation uh, streams, streams that were cut from the river to run water into the fields. You would intentionally plant your tree in those areas so that those roots could grow into the stream bed and always get the water it needs. Intentional positioning of the trees 
to get what's needed. Intentional positioning of our lives to get what's needed. Intentionally positioned on the Word of God. Intentionally positioned in relationship to God. Intentionally drawing close to Him so that we are always connected to our source. We are trees planted beside streams of water that bears fruit in season. Now the interesting thing about especially this area of the Old Testament uh, the, the bearing season was also the drought season. The most important time for a tree to get water was its most vulnerable time, uh, the most likely time for it to not get water. See, fruit and, and drought showed up at the same time in Israel in most places. So, it's, it's incredible that we're talking about the tree being transplanted, put in a position so it can get the water. But, but hear, hear it in, in terms of our Christian life. In, in seasons of drought, spiritually, those can be the most fruitful times of our lives. If we have been transplanted and planted by the source so that our roots have grown into the source and constantly getting the nourishment that we need from that source. The fruit comes out. The, the leaves never wither because we are constantly connected to our source. That's, that's what we will be. If it, we will be happy as the man who does not walk with, stand with, or sit with the unrighteous but delights in the Lord's instruction, meditates on it, and plants himself next to God, then we see that whatever he does prospers. Now, if you remember the old TV show Lost in Space, it technically is before my time, uh, but it came on, I think on TBS every day. They ran reruns, uh, same, I think it was like... T uh, Lost in Space, Gilligan's Island, and, and then Tom and Jerry. And, and, and that was, this was before Nick at Night, right? This, TBS ran all the good shows. Andy Griffith was, Griffith was on there and, and others. Lost in Space, you remember the robot. Something started to happen. I don't remember the robot's name. Maybe it was Robot. They were real creative back then. Um, but something was bad was going to happen, and his arms would start flailing. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, danger. Well, when we come to the word prosper... We should think danger, not because there's anything bad about prospering, but because we don't want to give it a definition that God hasn't given it. We, we don't want to tiptoe over into that everything's going to be w wonderful and good when I come to Jesus. Eric talked about it uh, a couple of nights ago. Life will never be perfect this side of heaven. So we want to be careful with that word prosper. This word prosper is completely dependent upon our obedience. And I hope you th you're thinking right now, well, I've been obedient. Why haven't I prospered? Well, then, then I want you to think about your definition of prosper because we need to define prosper based on God's economy, not ours. 
And I'm not talking about his, our financial economy. I'm talking about how God defines things. We define prosperous as either rich, that's number one, or no problems, easy life, just skating through, no issues, no temptations, no, you know, that's what we want. And yet, we don't see that. We don't, we don't see that with any body in the Bible. The, the very man who was perfect, who certainly was like a tree planted by the water, who certainly didn't walk, stand, or sit with, with the unrighteous, at least not so as to be affected by their teachings, but to instead affect them. In that case, he did. Uh, one who was constantly bearing fruit. We would think of all people, Jesus would prosper more than anybody, right? Based on our definition of prosper in this verse. And yet, what did they do? They killed him. They mocked him. They said he wasn't who he said he was. So our idea of prosper must, uh, must be a little off. And we must then, in that case, change our definition to match God's. See, success has many different definitions. Success could be, as, as a pastor, success could be overflowing buildings. You know, just Sunday morning packed out. Well, not successful yet, if, if, that's, if that's our definition. But maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's, maybe it's the, the budget is just, uh, the bank account is just, I mean, packed. We're, we're Scrooge McDuck swimming in a, a vault of money. Um, that's a 90s cartoon reference. Some of y'all didn't get it. Some of you did. It's okay. Um, nope, nope, not successful there either, if that's the case. Um, see, so, so if, we, if we have our earthly, worldly definitions of success, we're not going to succeed very often, are we? As a matter of fact, very few people succeed if those are our definitions of success. If it's, if it's becoming the CEO of the company, if it's, if it's having the multi-million dollar home, if it's owning a private jet, if that's success, there are very few of us that get it. But if, it's, if success is simply being obedient... To Christ. Every one of us can be a success. No matter the number of people that come to church, no matter the, the size of our bank account, whether it's the churches or the personal one, no matter the, 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 the rung on the corporate ladder to which you have ascended, no matter any of those outside temporary, temporal things, if you are successful, or rather if you are obedient to Christ, you are successful. So, I can say with confidence that if you do not walk, stand, and sit in the company of sinners so as to absorb their views, but instead plant yourself by the stream and absorb the nourishment of God, producing the fruit that you're supposed to, whether it's the drought season or not, you will be a success. You will prosper. That's the beauty of this psalm. 
But that's the beauty of following Christ. The opposite of that is verse 4. He says, the wicked, they're not like this. They, they have no success. They, they have nothing that lasts. Now, you're going to tell me, well, Michael, I know plenty of wicked, wicked people that have succeeded. Uh-uh-uh-uh. You are using the worldly definition of success. You're okay using God's definition of success on Christians, but then, then when we start talking about non-Christians, well, they've succeeded. Okay, they have money. Eddie Murphy gave an interview in the 90s. Uh, and it was when Eddie Murphy was very, very popular, doing very well, before he had made a string of movies that were awful. Uh, and his movies may have been awful anyway. I'm not... I'm just talking about their success, uh, not how good they were. Um, gave this interview in the 90s, and, and they asked him, you know, you, you've, you, you've got it all. What, what do you need now? And he said, hope. He basically said, I, I've, got, I've got nothing. I mean, I've got money. I've got women. I've got fame. I have everything I thought I wanted. And I, I wake up in the morning empty. Because he didn't have success. He had what the world thought was success, but he did not have anything that lasted. A couple of weeks ago, I told you, uh, reminded you of 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, that talks about as Christians, we lay the foundation of Jesus, and that foundation will never be uh, shaken. That foundation will never wash away. But what we build on that foundation one day will be tested, and it will be tested by fire uh, in, in, in the judgment that, that we as Christians will go through. And that testing will either burn up or purify what's there. It'll leave the precious stones, the gold, the silver, etc. It'll burn the wood, the hay, and the stubble. So we are building, uh, as Christians, hopefully something that lasts. Someone who doesn't have Christ, they're building nothing that will last. Everything they build is wood, hay, or stubble. No matter the, the, the good, the moral good they may do, when, when the time comes for judgment, they may say, but I did all these great things, and Christ will say, I never knew you. I, you weren't one of mine. See, nothing that lasts, there's no success in the wicked, and ultimately that they are destroyed themselves. Now, I'm not saying, I, I'm not one of these, that there are those that believe that when death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire, people who, uh, non-Christians that, that were, are thrown in the lake of fire at the end of time will cease to exist. I don't believe that. I think the Bible teaches an eternal punishment just as it teaches an eternal reward for Christians. So I'm not saying that they'll be destroyed like that. I'm talking about their, their lives will, will be destroyed. Their, their influence will be destroyed. Their posterity will be destroyed. Eventually, nobody cares They've done nothing that lasts. And that's what this verse says. The wicked aren't like this. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. You know what the chaff is, right? Back when they would gather in the wheat or whatever grain it was, they'd bring it to uh, the, the threshing floor and they would beat it. And be, in beating it, it would break the grains, the kernels, off of the stalk. 
and it would break the husk, the chaff, off of the kernel. But you'd have this pile of stuff there, and, and you could, it would take forever if you went through and you were picking out each little grain and throw away the bad stuff. So they figured out a much better way of doing that. On a, on a breezy day, not, not gale force winds, but on a good breezy day, you go out there and, and, and you've got your pile of stuff, and you take your rake and you toss it straight up in the air. And all that stuff, and, and, and as a kid you've done this, you may not have done it as an adult, all that stuff that flies up, well, the really light stuff gets caught in the wind, whoosh, blows away. But the heavier things, the grain, just falls straight back down. That's why you have to have the right kind of wind. I mean, too much and everything goes. Everything else falls. The good stuff falls back down. The chaff is blown away. And, and where does it go? Nobody cares. It's worthless. It, it goes into the field. It becomes fertilizer. Maybe, maybe there's enough of it just laying next to it. You take it up, you, you throw it in the fire, and you burn it. But it's worthless. That is the life, the, 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 the buildings of anyone who does not follow Christ. They're, they're chaff caught in the wind and blown away. They will not survive the judgment and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. There are two paths. There are two ways. One path leads home. One path leads to Christ. The other path leads away to hell. Verse 6. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Now, again, we don't want to get into this idea of prospering that says, well, the, God's watching out for me, so everything I do is okay. No, the reality is we're still stupid. We still sin. We still make mistakes. We still create our own problems. But God is always present. For the righteous. He is always there. A life of obedience ensures a life of guardianship. A life of obedience to God ensures a life of guardianship by God. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to, even when I'm right, even when I'm doing the right things, not sinning, not, not being disobedient, that does not ensure a smooth path. That ensures that regardless of the path, God is with me. God is there. God will always be there with me. He will never leave me. When we are faithless, He is faithful. I will always have Him by my side, taking me through carefully whatever it is I'm in the middle of at the time, whether I caused it or not. The way of the wicked, though, in verse 6, leads to ruin. Notice here that God is absent. See, see how it works? The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to ruin. Notice that he it doesn't say, and God causes ruin on their lives. God protects the righteous. God ruins the sinner. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says that the, the wicked basically ruins himself or, or herself. The path of, of wickedness 
has as its inevitable end destruction. No matter how pretty it looks like on the way down, no matter how enjoyable it appears, it's going to be a path that leads to destruction. See, in life, the wicked refuse God's presence. They refuse God's assistance. And the day will come when they will get their wish. What You would think it would be a great punishment for the wicked to uh, have to spend eternity with God because that was the one thing they never wanted was God, right? But no, God eventually gives people who have rejected Him all their lives their wish and says, you didn't want me? Fine. You don't have me. That judgment is coming. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. He guards His own But the way of the wicked leads to the very thing that they've wanted all their lives, an escape from God. But it's just not going to be as good as they thought. Well, how do we get to be righteous? Well, you don't work your way to it. See, that's This is where we look at the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. We understand, as they did, they knew they could never keep the Ten Commandments. That's why they had the sacrificial system. There was always a sacrifice to be made. There was always repentance to be made. The beauty of Christ is that we no longer have to sacrifice anything because He is the ultimate sacrifice. We are made righteous by trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. See... Jesus says, He is the one way. As a matter of fact, He said that very thing. I am the way. Definite article, one way. Not a way. Not a way among many, but the way to have righteousness, to have eternal life, to have this eternal guardianship of God, to ever live in His presence. The wicked... Do not have that guarantee. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is eternal separation from God. But the gift of God, the way God decided to fix the sin problem was to send a gift of His Son. If I give, if, if all of y'all gave me each on my birthday and at Christmas a nice card with $1,000 in each card... It, but if you did it, but I never opened those cards. I mean, you, you, you give it to me, and I take that card home, and I say, thank you very much. And I put that card on the shelf. What good has that gift done for me? Have I received that gift? Well, I know about the gift. I know it's a good gift. But I have never taken that gift, and in this case, put it, into the, put it to the bank, put it in the bank. I just let it sit on my shelf. Well, I've not received that gift. That gift has done nothing for me. So Jesus is a gift that we have to receive. Many of us have, have taken that gift from God and said, Oh, thank you, God. Jesus was a great gift. And we've taken him and we've put him on our shelf. But we've not deposited him, to keep this analogy going, we've not deposited him into our hearts and seen a change in our lives. Because I guarantee you, if each one of you gave me $1,000, both for my birthday and for, my, and for Christmas, that would affect a change in my life. Uh, that, would be some, that would be some good change. Well, Jesus is the better change. And if we haven't taken that and deposited it, we haven't experienced that change. And the only way to receive that gift is through Jesus Christ. 
The only way to receive that forgiveness for our sin, the only way to overcome the wages of sin that is death, is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Believing, trusting, giving Him your life. The one way that we have. The other way leads to destruction. An eternity in hell separated from loved ones who have trusted Jesus and gone on, separated from God himself. So this morning, if you have never made that decision, if you have never, you know about the gift, you got the card, and boy, I bet it's good, but you've never opened that card and deposited it. Today, I want you to deposit Jesus into your heart. I want you to accept the gift. I want you to trust him. I want you to do something, pray something like, Lord, I am a sinner and I know that I can never save myself. But this morning, I want to give my heart to you. I want to trust you for my salvation. And I pray that if that is your prayer this morning, if that's something you've not done, that when we have our time of response, that you would come and you would make that known to me, to those here, and say, I want to follow him. I want to be a part of his church, of of his family. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that we do hear your beckoning this morning on our lives. Lord, I pray that as, as lost people, as people have never trusted you as Savior, that today we would trust that one way, that one path that leads to heaven, that one path that leads to forgiveness of sin. Lord, we wouldn't trust any other path because there is no other way. God, move on hearts this morning to trust you if they haven't for their salvation. God, for Christians who have entertained the ideas of others, who have spent too much time walking with the wicked or, or standing and discussing or have even fallen into a trap of, of believing them and now sit with them and, 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 and give credence and absorb their ideas, God, I pray that we as Christians would pull away from that, that we would return to you, that we would make sure that our roots are planted deep next to the stream bed of your word and a relationship with you. God, move on our hearts today. Do a great work in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've got that one way. What, what is your choice this morning? What path are you going to follow? I've I've told you before that when when we look at this word, we should change. Eric put it a very similar way. He said, when we open God's word, God opens his mouth. And if he opens his mouth, he says something. Well, he said something to you this morning. What path should you take today? Is it a path to follow Jesus? Is it a path to to join our church? Is it a path to, to be baptized? Is it a path to get off the road that you know you shouldn't be on to join the road that you should Whatever it is this morning, as we sing, you come, talk to me, let me pray with you, and maybe you just need to do business with God at this altar. Let's stand and let's sing, and you do business with God this morning.